All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. Before we jump in, quick disclaimer, the views expressed by my co-host today are their personal views and they do not represent the views of any organization with which the co-hosts are associated with. Uh, Nothing in the episode is construed or relied upon as financial, technical, tax, legal, or other advice. You know the deal. Now let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, we've got a great episode here, but before we do, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Permissionless. This is the biggest and best conference in all of DeFi. It's the one that we do with Bankless, who's a great partner for us. Last year, we had almost 7,000 people there in West Palm Beach. We are moving this year to Austin, Texas from September 11th through the 13th. And if you are a listener of Bell Curve, any of these last five seasons, this conference is basically custom made for you. We're going to be talking about liquid staking, the theme of this season. We've got a bunch of great panels on MEV. You listen to the app chain thesis we've got a bunch of cosmos folks out there in full force we're talking about the converging architecture of solana the roll-up space in eth and cosmos so i would love to see all of you there and to reward you for being such great listeners to bell curve you get a special 30 percent off code it's bell curve 30 that'll get you 30 percent off tickets click the link in the show notes and then head over to the permissionless site and make sure that you get your ticket today again that is bell curve 30 click the link in the show notes all right everyone Welcome back to another roundup edition of Bell Curve. You got Michael Juan, Vance, you know, gentlemen. It's been a minute. I, I thought we were going to have the whole crew today. I'm, I'm I did too. I, yeah, I'm a little bummed like too. Vance. I was, I was very excited for you know, Michael's one and two. You guys are taking a lot of vacation days these days, Vance. Man, <laughs> time, time to get to work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Massachusetts, it's a fine state though. We can we can excuse him if he's in Massachusetts. We'll we'll let that fly. Yeah. Um, all right, you guys want to just get right into uh, friend tech? I feel like that's the that's like I've never seen my feed taken over by something more than friend tech has been. Um, probably the last dying? year. Is it? Uh, it's kind the- of died down. It's dying down. It's dying down. And I can actually share this Dune dashboard. Like, if you actually look at the transactions, the transactions have completely died down as well. Here, let me share this. It's uh, back to where it was pre pre hype. So if if uh, so, if you look at the transactions for anyone who's listening, not watching on YouTube, pre August eighteenth, transactions were about a thousand transactions a day. When it started taking over Twitter about a week ago, started climbing. You know, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand transactions a day. And then uh, on August 21st, earlier this week, it peaked out at 40,000 transactions in the day. Uh, now, just a couple of days later, the transactions are all the way back down at about 1,500 transactions. And if you look at the protocol inflows, I mean, this chart looks very similar. You can still see that net flows are positive, but only barely. We're looking at like 100K of inflows. So this thing could, could quickly turn negative. So Interesting. Yeah. So they made Vance, three and a half million so far. They've made three and a half million so far. And base, I mean, the impact on base has been that base is now, I think was processing 1.16 transactions a second past Arbitrum and Optimism. Yeah. Um, and did more, yeah. So uh, it's had an interesting impact on base as well. But Vance, I did notice that you are not on Frentech, man. I went to go buy you, but uh, can't, couldn't get those keys. <laughs> Why aren't you on Frentech? I mean, first of all, I want to wait uh and you know build up the anticipation and the the desire for something like that second of all i'm just not sure that it's like fully blessed from a regulatory legal perspective so you know i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna pull a nate chastain and you know have one eth be the thing that really fucks me over from something like this and i think that's probably what a lot of the influencers that are you know even outside of crypto think about this it's like it's very cool but, you know, the current crop of friend tech uh, people, it's like this weird amalgamation of crypto people, e-girls, like OnlyFans girls as well. Like it's it's not necessarily the uh, the biggest Pretty name. Crop. I guess like so you- is on there from FaZe Clan, but like that's kind of like the biggest one probably. So yeah. you can see what people, you can see people's holdings. And I saw one of the BlockWorks research analysts was just loading up on some like e-girl only fans i was like oh buddy oh, we, there's, for an investment for an investment doing research doing research yeah, yeah right. it's, it's uh it's always weird when you see something like that on the internet like one of your uh one of your colleagues doing something strange on Fender. like oh buddy but it's not private. he's up he's up I, 
I will tell you my thoughts, actually. Wait, um, hold on. Before we get into the takes here, could you just briefly, I, I'm sure most people listening will be familiar with it, but, you know, could you just give us a rundown of, like, what is Friend.Tech? Like, what, what is the, the app? Yeah, Friendtech is um, Friendtech is a platform that basically lets you so uh, it it lets you buy and sell shares in in people. And I know that sounds kind of crazy. So keys, the way- brother, keys, <laughs> yeah, not shares. Keys, keys, keys. Um, the way that it works is you. Uh, I would actually recommend people download it not to go use the platform, but the user onboarding, the user experience, um, and setting it up is unlike anything I've ever seen before in crypto. Um, so you basically download, so you go to the website friend.tech on on your phone, you have to be on Safari, you then add it to your home screen. I don't know if you've ever added a, like a website to a home screen. Um, but you do that. You then, um, uh, you then connect your Twitter and then you, uh, you deposit ETH and you deposit ETH just from, from like from the ETH L1, you connect your MetaMask and it does everything for you. So you only sign one transaction the whole time. Uh, you sign one transaction at the beginning, and then you don't have to sign any more transactions as you're using the application. The next thing that it does that's pretty cool is it auto bridges over to uh, to base for you. So when the the app came out, it you had to you had you actually had to send like base ETH over, um, but now it actually does the bridging for you. It's a really cool like user onboarding and user experience. So you buy your own share for like zero dollars at the beginning, and then you uh, it recommends you upload or you 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 add like 0.01 ETH, and then you kind of get underway and you start buying and selling. And the mania was like last weekend, uh, last like Saturday and Sunday, prices were going crazy. Like, you know, you know, I think it was like Jeremy Allaire joined and like his, he went to like half an ETH and like, you know, Ansem was at like two ETH and Kobe was like untouchable at three ETH or something. And now prices have come back down a lot. What, what's, how does utility or value flow? The, the other, sorry, there, I'm missing one other thing, which is there are group chats. So the group chats are like one of the more interesting things about it. People probably are like the way I described it, it sounds very much like BitClout. There are like three main differences between this and BitClout, I would say. One is that BitClout had this like kind of schemey, scammy uh, growth strategy at the beginning where they auto added everybody to the platform. Um, you didn't have to, you weren't able to opt in, it auto opted you in. So like anyone from like Balaji to like, like I was on the platform. One day I woke up and I'm, I'm on BitClout, even though I never opted into BitClout. Uh, front tech, you have to opt in. So if you don't want to be on the platform like Vance, you don't have to be on the platform. Uh, the next thing is that you're actually able to withdraw. You're able to withdraw from front tech, whereas you weren't able to withdraw on BitClout. Uh, but the third thing are these group chats. So the group chats are really interesting. So like I own a disclosure key because I like disclosure and disclosure has been like posting behind the scenes of making hit some of his favorite songs. Like there's no, that, that like the video he posted today has like never been seen before. Blau posted like a unique, uh, a song that he's like cooking up that no one, no one's heard before. Uh, like Rob Leshner is just kind of like talking about cool DeFi stuff. Um, yeah. So there's these like gr- little group chats that are, that are interesting. One thing, um, one thing just on this volume, by the way, I would be long that uh, the volume ends up returning. You know what this chart actually reminds me of that you showed in the beginning, you know, was you ever looked at actually, can I share a screen here? The, or, the chart of ordinals, actually, it kind of reminded me of a little bit where there was a super intense peak in ordinals to begin with. It looked like the entire thing retraced um, and then it just went all the way back. So if you look at that, uh, the inscriptions over time, there was this like super intense peak. It dipped back down, but then there's been sort of steady growth. And the thing that's still coming up for friend.tech is there's there's going to be an airdrop, right? So I think they announced that they're doing the point system similar to MarginFi over on Solana, where I think they're dropping 100 million points. It's unclear what the monetary or token value associated with those points will be, but there'll be some sort of gamification thing there. So they haven't even started to pour on the incentives yet, really. Really what they've been relying on is this sort of viral hook. And I am more in the camp of asking whether or not this is a necessarily like a good thing <laughs> to, to be trading, trading your friends and whatnot outside of just whether or not it's legal. But I do think one of the things that I think is cool is there's a guy named Nikita Beer, uh, who I think is pretty good in terms of thinking about product. And he's always talked about designing product with a, a hook or, or a distribution in mind. And I think this is one of the best examples we've seen so far in crypto of designing something that meets the market where it's at today with distribution directly built in like it's it's pretty cool 
uh, I think. But the question of whether or not this is a good thing longer term, I don't know if you guys want to get into that, but I think that's probably a question worth asking, I think, too. Here's a funny example. Nikita, like, he is famous for building his Same strategy, thing. yeah, building social apps that have more hype than, like, anything in the world and then selling them super quickly before, like, the hype dies down. So Smart. Sell the sizzle, baby, not the steak. Yeah, sell the sizzle, exactly. Yeah, he did, did that playbook with Facebook, and then he just ran the exact same playbook with gas and sold it to Discord. So um, the, uh, the really interesting thing that at the beginning was, like, buying and selling people um, and, like, almost the drama that came from that. It was, like, if you guys were on MySpace, like, the MySpace Top 8, it was, like, yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. I'm that. buying Brian Sean Adams, and he's dumping Anil from Delphi. And, like, it was this whole, like, everyone was, like, watching the – because you can see what your friends are doing. That, actually, excitement has, like, very much died down already. But what has stuck for me is – um. Like I was checking it like, you know, every like three minutes, I was like, oh, what are people doing? Like, oh, Selkis is dumping. Like, yeah, yeah. everyone was dumping my shares for some reason. I don't know why they were doing that. Yeah, um, I saw that. Must be confused. Must I was be getting confused. dumped. Yeah. But what has stuck are, are the group chats. Um, and that makes me think that there's something there because the UX of the group chats is so remarkably bad. It's only one to many. So when, let's say Vance, you owned one of my keys, you can message me but other people in the group can't see your message. And I think this is actually not because they want it to be like this, but it, the engineering, there's a really tough engineering uh, problem to solve there. So everyone can see when I basically send a message and then when people respond to it, I have to be like, Vance responded, quote this, here's what my response is to Vance. But even with that horrible UX, I find myself going back into the groups. Um, and I think it's a cool, like you're starting to see what the future I think of like, you know, artists or musicians or like, I don't know, there's like some EDM people who are starting to join. Like that's the model. I think the like fan connection model of the future is what is happening. Right. I don't know if it's going to be on friend tech, probably not realistically, but like, I think that's the model that's going to play out in the future. What do you think is next in terms of feature set that's coming? Images and audio image images and audio and, um, like more of a telegram style group thing instead of a one to many. Here's another one that's not necessarily a feature set, but I saw this announcement from Aerodrome. So Aerodrome is the, I think it's the dominant DEX that's on base. This is built by the team over at Velodrome, which is the, opt, uh, the I think it's the go-to DEX on optimism. It's actually a fork of Andre Kronhe's solidly, but they announced that uh, so this is the tweet. The friend tech revolution is coming to Aerodrome. That means friend.tech keys can be wrapped as ERC-20s and can be incentivized, traded, and LP'd on Aerodrome day one. And to get things started, we'll boost any Epoch Zero voting incentives with Aero. So I don't know. I think it's like even uh, the ability to wrap and then trade fractionalized uh, shares. Uh, you know, I, I don't really buy that the value of this thing is the group chats. This is the ability to speculate on people. Like, yeah, I think it's more critical that people get exposed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but let's call a spade a spade. Like if you can wrap these things and, and you're incentivizing them and financializing people like that, I think people will do it. Um, but is it, is it, a, is, is it as a desirable outcome? So yeah, like it totally, I'm sure it is about the speculation stuff, but like something about it feels less ponzi than some of the early like i remember DeFi summer like everyone was like i know this isn't gonna last i know this is like ponzi but like it's like hidden ponzi under like three layers this is like very speculative out in the open you know i don't, I don't know there's something about it being more like surface level speculation that i think uh and that's why it spooks people that's why i think people don't like it but like do, do you think this gets more or less fun if the prices go up 10x Oh, that's such a good oh, question. Oh, man. Such a good question. Less fun. Less, Less fun. fun. Okay. What do you think? Way more fun. Mm. People, I, think, I think it gets way more fun and then way less fun. Yeah. <laughs> it, gets, it, gets, it, gets really, it gets really fucking crazy and everyone's like aping into the market. And then the user, the user base dies down because people can't afford to buy people's shares. I, I think Actually, yeah, a, you can because there's always going to be new people joining. I think there's a psychological element to this. Too. I listened to the Santi episode that you did, Jason, and I sort of found myself nodding along with what Santi was saying, which is on the one hand, some there's there's a concept in psychology called cognitive dissonance. There's a really famous study that people did where you you gave uh, these two groups of people a mindless task to do. It was like spooling a 
thread around this complicated bit. And in one group, you paid them $1 to do it. And in another group, you paid them 50 bucks or 20 bucks or something like that. And then at the end of the study, they asked them which one they, which, which group had more fun, like which one overall scored that they enjoyed the task more. And the group that got paid less uh, reported that they enjoyed it more. And the, the rationale is that because I didn't get paid, I still have to come up with a rationale for why I did this thing. And it must be because I enjoyed it. So on the one hand, I the optimist in me wants to say, man, look at what social media companies have done just by playing with people's dopamine receptors over time. Like imagine if you added dollars onto that, that would just be supercharging it. But it could, human psychology is weird and it could have the opposite effect too, where now that you're getting paid for something, you subjectively enjoy it less and it could decrease engagement. I, it's this, that's one of those things where you just won't know until you test it out, but there's the opposite of that. So I agree with that. Like, that's a good cognitive dissonance thing. Like I've always thought that, uh, about media companies that offer tokens or payments when you read a newsletter, I think decrypt did this. They were like, we'll give you one cent every time you read, open our newsletter. Hmm. And I'm like, that is a horrible model. Cause now you're like, now you've just yeah. attached the reader's time at like one cent. It's like, it would make me want to read that thing less, you know? So you get you get points on friend tech based on things that you've done. And that's supposedly leading up to this airdrop. And I hadn't actually thought about it, those points at all. I really hadn't. And then it's Friday and they give out the points every Friday and I didn't get any points. And then it actually made me be like, why didn't you get any points? I don't know. I've been buying and holding people. I'm out yeah, here. DM um, Razor. I know. They, uh... I was talking to the Paradigm team about it. They're going to come on the pod, but they're doing a media, kind of quiet on the media front right now. But um, Smart. smart. Yeah, smart. Very smart. <laughs> very smart. Very smart. <laughs> I think they need to have a plan for the prices of this going up 10x and then hmm. what happens next. Because there's going to be resentment towards the early people that have keys. There's going to be this disenfranchisement of the you know the lower cast that couldn't get you know the keys but want to interact with their creator. And that is kind of like what ultimately is the big risk to a price downfall, which like once these things go through the washing machine of price discovery, it's harder to get people excited about them. What the, maybe to take the opposite side of everything that I've been saying so far, I feel like at post ECC, which was an amazing conference, I was definitely on the train of that is really infra heavy. It'd be nice if people were taking some risks on some apps and it is refreshing to see a team take a shot at something. It's a shot yeah. on goal. And I actually think it's a good shot on goal. And the fact that it's inspired this much debate and engagement and some people love it and some people hate it probably means it's bullish, I would guess. I think if everyone loved it, it would weirdly be less bullish, the the app. So I don't know. I respect it's a really it's a four person team too that's doing this. So respect to this team. That's Can we see what Racer looks like? <laughs> Like I, I literally have no. His idea. profile is still on private. I'm pretty sure on Twitter. I know. I, I was I was in early on Racer on Twitter. Nice, nice. Did you look at this deal, Vance? What's the backstory of, the, of this fundraise? Like, did they raise from a bunch of people? Was it just like a they knew Paradigm? No, I think yeah. I think uh, I think they backed Racer just doing multiple things. Like they did Steel Cam and then they did did this. So I think like if Steel Cam took off, they would have probably like put resources into that but like it just ended up being this and it kind of explains why the app is so not shitty but just like primitive and like rushed that, that's kind of like my understanding at least hmm. i there's an interesting thing that might happen here which is so friend tech is what's called a progressive web app which it's mm -hmm. just like a mobile app but it's not but it's not through the app store and um i could see all i could see friend tech dying all this dying but friend tech kicking off this huge wave of progressive web apps because the experience has been so nice it skirts the apple 30 percent fee mm -hmm. um i mean this it feels like an app like it's an app um and now that the full like safari engine is just inside of an iphone you can write these amazing like apps and ajac apps that like behave exactly like an app does but it's not through the app store so you this could be the like start to be the downfall of the of the app store monopoly you know I mean, it's so awesome that you get access to Apple Pay as well. And I, I don't know what the fail rate is of crypto transactions, but it seems like it's a lot better than like MoonPay. So, yeah. you know, I, I think a lot of this is what crypto games are going to look like. It's like our version of sideloading, except you're just pinning a web app to your homepage. Yeah. Yeah. You know who I, Jason, getting back to one of the 
other original things that you said, I have been thinking about uh, the impact that this had on base as well and sort of the business model of what uh, what an L2 wants to do. And I don't know, I've been thinking more recently that, um, you know, Ethereum tries to be this very decentralized. I think that what they're producing is a commodity-like thing, right? Which is what Ether is. And they're, they're selling block space that's associated with that. But I think L2s, their business model, really what they're trying to do right now is they're trying to get that one runaway app that is going to onboard a bunch of developers and people. And in that sense, it's more like being a publisher or a VC where you're like looking for that one investment that's going to pay back for your, it's like a power law type thing. And I think, I think that's probably how a lot of these L2 teams are thinking about it. They're thinking, how can I attract the, the app that people are going to want to use? And yeah, it'd be interesting to see how much staying power friend tech has. But I'll be really interested to see what happens to base and their, uh, you know, the revenue that this brings into them. And by the way, the MEV stuff, we could do a whole episode on the MEV stuff that's playing out on base and front tech right now as well. I think the bots are, they're printing. They're, they're eating. Printing. I mean, yeah. you can't, like the second someone signs up, they, their price just shoots up. Like it's, you can't, that was like the fun of it. Like I'd be like, oh shit, I just saw that he signed up. Like, but I know that before anyone, but like, the, I mean, that's all been, that's gone. That's gone. I mean, it just continues to also reinforce the point that like the Cosmos narrative is now playing out on ETH. And I like just talking to Cosmos teams, they're like, man, we thought we were gonna have USDC a year ago. You know, we thought that all these things were gonna happen. Getting validators up is super expensive, you know, 14% inflation probably yearly for your token. People are just gonna launch L2s on ETH, mostly on OP stack, and then go to their own version whenever they they feel the need to. But I, I posted that basic, you know, summation on Twitter and John Charbonneau replied to me, he works at a different fund. He's really smart. He said that the 4844 spec will support a hundred TPS combined across all rollups. So say that again, say that number again, that's a hundred TPS combined across all rollups. So rollup, you know, takes a bunch of data, packages it into a blob, posts it, you know, that that's one. So like what happens when there's a thousand rollups? Because like every pitch that I'm sure you see this too, everyone's like, you know, it's a game, but also it's our own rollup. Like it, it, it's, it, I like, I don't think, uh, I wonder if ETH really accounted for that when they were thinking about their scaling roadmap where it was like, what if everyone wants to have their own? And everyone there's like side chains and layer threes yeah. and stuff like that. But dude, this is, I feel like I'm broken record on this, but like Cosmos ran into this exact same issue, right? There are scalability challenges. I saw Alex Glukowski tweeted about this as well, but he, he had a slightly different TPS number, but it's like 4844 is not going to fix costs on ETH, especially if you still need to post. If you're still using ETH for data availability, like that's that's the majority of the expense for rollups. So pretty bullish. It's going to be tough. <laughs> you're going to need ETH for that, yeah. for sure. Uh, but, you will. You will. Uh, yeah, like the Cosmos story is playing out in a good way, but also like to your point, a lot of the resource constraints are now, we're not like hitting them yet. But like in a year, I think people are going to be like, why, why do we have 400 rollups? Because some of them I are agree. just, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever tried Conduit. It's like an SDK for deploying both a rollup, but also like you can one-click deploy Uniswap and you need to bootstrap liquidity. But like the point is you can just deploy these things instantly. Hmm. Pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. There, that whole thing, I think Michael and I talked about this the last one we did just solo, but that is also because... I think the analogy for conduit and optimism is uh, like Red Hat and Linux, where mm-hmm. I think what they're discovering is that the optimism created a lot of value with this open source stack that anyone can use. Conduit might be might capture a lot of that value. Uh, and that's why I think you're seeing law of chains uh, and like, hey, like anyone can be part of the OP stack. But if you want to be like super chain and you have to do these, have these sorts of parameters. Um, Nobody wants to be a super chain. Nobody wants to be an L3. You yeah, want to be able to, because you want to create your own version of OP stack, because you are now the standard. I, I got to be honest, I'm starting to get confused, but what is the difference between an L2 and an L3 in these I'm, like I'm stack architectures? Lost it, I'm it, lost. Like, they change the definition so much. If you use Eigenlayer, are you an L2? Like, you know, if, if you're using Plodiums, are you an L2? I think the point is like, you're going to need ETH for all of that. And probably scaling is not entirely fixed yet. Yeah. 
At this point, I'm scared to even overturn one rock in the in the roll up ecosystem because I'm gonna not understand. <laughs> like uncover <laughs> this can of worms. I have no idea what people are talking about. The I I actually think um there was an interesting discussion about this on Twitter the other day about what creates value for ETH. I think the most bullish thing ETH would be the and I think there's good evidence to suggest that it's going to play out like this. That ETH is the gas token for these roll ups instead of their native token. Um, yeah, I think that would be if I had unilateral control of ETH, I would make it so. And I, and I, my sole purpose was to because um, I think if you want ETH to be a currency or a commodity, there's like two two ways that you can make the price go up. Uh, to reduce the supply or increase the demand. And 1559 takes care of half of that equation. You burn ETH, so you reduce the supply. But you want a structural bid for demand too. So the dollar did this, right? Like the dollar was like, hey, we're trustworthy, right? We've got all these great resources and that's why you should want to use the dollar. But we also went out to Saudi Arabia and was like, hey, uh, it would be great if you only let people buy oil in dollars. Uh, that'd be tight. And by the way, you can only pay taxes in the U.S. based on dollars. So if you live here or if you want to do business here, you have to use this currency. So it creates a structural bid for the currency that kicks off a, a virtuous cycle. And I don't know. I think I think rollups. That's that's like the easiest through through path that I see for for ETH. Otherwise, if you don't need to use it, like on zk sync, you can use. They leaned into account abstraction. You can use whatever token you want for gas. You still have to pay data availability in in ETH, but you could eventually you could just use Celestia for that, and you could bypass a lot of the cost. So you're just going to have like do- maybe more than dozens, hundreds of rollups paying these stakers ETH every day. Yeah, phenomenal, right? Yeah, you know, a thousand yeah. rollups paying ETH stakers one or two ETH per day, plus all the ETH L1 demand. Like that, that's that ETH could be a trillion with that economic model. You know, if if the price is it's all relative to the price because it's like, you know, is ETH worth 10 grand? Or is it worth one grand? But like, assume these things are reflexive and, you know, the, the amount of ETH spent per day holds, you know, roughly steady. That makes a lot of sense as an economic model. The other thing on your point, Mike, my point, my, my calculation of burned ETH is all of the burned ETH from EIP 1559, but also all the ETH that's been bridged to Arbitrum, Optimism, any L2. Mm. In my mind, like that's not... All, all price discovery happens on centralized exchanges, whether we like it or not. That ETH yeah. is not like coming back like two hops to centralized exchanges to fill a bid. That in my mind is like basically locked ETH supply. So you huh. know, the and further- that's a, I have never thought about it like that. That's a good, I like that. Yeah, I mean, the further we, we I, like, I think of these as like, you know, locking ETH in DeFi. Your ETH is now locked in an L2. Hmm. Removed from the supply. Yeah. Look at all you know the my- fintech shares too. Price in ETH. Yeah. As long as we're doing everything denominated in ETH, that is, that is the main thing that I care about in terms of like what is the digital commodity that everything interesting is priced in. It increasingly continues to be Ethereum. Hmm. One thing that might be bullish for ETH on the demand side as well is more weirdly like more corporates launching L2s that people actually use because... Base doesn't have a token. I'm assuming they might have a token eventually, but probably not until regulatory stuff gets cleared up in the US. And so they're using ETH as gas. So I feel like maybe that could be another catalyst. I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out. Did, did you guys see? I, I put, I know it's kind of a nerdy subject, but I, I found it interesting um, that Starknet is considering rolling out Tendermint for their chain. So Tendermint is the, I guess now it's Comet BFT, but it's the consensus protocol that's part of the Cosmos SDK. So that's how consensus works. It's like an out-of-the-box solution that Cosmos chains, Cosmos chains utilize. So one of the big open questions is how um, something like consensus or transaction ordering is going to happen on rollups. Right now, everyone's got a centralized sequencer. Some people, I think, think that's okay, and that'll be how rollups think about monetizing. Others are like, there are going to be a, de- a decentralized sequencer set or a shared sequencer set. But as soon as you start doing a decentralized sequencer set, you need to get uh, some some way to do Sybil resistance, and you need some sort of ordering uh, protocol to switch in between different sequencers. So 
that's where you they are proposing using Tendermint consensus, which is pretty cool. Um, I don't know how that's going to work. And I think the big question is what the sequencer landscape eventually ends up playing out as, but I thought it was pretty cool. Validation of the Cosmos tech. But not, the co but not Adam, right? It's not, no, it's not, no, not basically nothing's bullish Adam, unfortunately. unfortunately <laughs> like, yeah. That's the big problem. Walker's yeah. interns are in shambles as a result. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> just tough sledding, honestly, for them. Just mm. given everything happening on ETH, that's just hard. Just I like I like that you think all the analysts are bowled up on Cosmos. They it's were just one of them. They were one. one of them. Yeah, they were. They were talking all sorts of garbage to me. I was just like, no, this is just not make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> right. But wait, let me let me just do one more uh, pushback on the Cosmos thing, and then we can then we can move on from this. But the I think there is a sequencing element to this. I think we've talked about this before, but. Right now, like, okay, the app chain thesis is playing out on Ethereum. But to your point, Vance, even with 4844, that's not going to solve the scalability issues to support all of these different rollups. And there aren't really any rollups with product market fit yet. So right now, it makes sense from a cost perspective to uh, launch a rollup on Ethereum, especially using something like Conduit. But in the future, if there was an app like with product market fit that had 5 or 10 million users uh, per day, then maybe the 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 economic shift for a roll up and it's like maybe actually we want perfect control over our over our block space and actually we don't really want to be paying rent to ethereum and we're going to go launch our own chain because getting 100 validators would be a trivial you know trivial exercise what what do you think about that i mean whether these things have product market fit or not i think firstly like they're probably going to have some sort of token farming or like they'll need to post some sort of data on chain so like a hundred TPS in my mind is is probably like a hundred rollups, you know, no matter how much or how little they're being used. And they may fight for priority fees to be included in the call data, but like kind of is what it is on that front. Um, just like building your own chain is such a pain in the ass. I can't enough. Like we have teams that have been at it for like a year and they're now saying like, you know what? Like, it's just, it's just too tough. We're, we're going to go on ETHL2. That's where the assets are anyways. We're planning on just like interoperating that with them if we're going to be a Tendermint chain. So I think it's difficult. It's expensive from an inflation perspective. Um, I just really wonder like if DYDX is going to be big enough to really bring it back. That would be the one way I could see this working in reverse. But we'll, we'll see. You know, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I think DYDX launches in November. So not too far off. Part of the reason DYDX is an interesting one because the reason that they moved off of, they were originally on StarkNet, I think, but they moved to Cosmos was because there are limitations. There are limitations. There are things you cannot do as an ETH rollup that you can do as your own chain. So for DYDX, what they thought was really important was to decentralize the order book. And the only way that that can work is in Cosmos, if you make each of the validators run their own order book because they run the consensus and then they also run the application code. And even on an ETH L2, like if DYDX was still there and you decentralized the sequencers, you could get them, each of the sequencers to maintain the DYDX code, assuming they had their own app specific roll up with multiple sequencers, but it still has to settle down to ETH L1 and those validators could just change it up and extract their own MEV. Like they don't have finality. The, uh, yeah, I understand the DYDX problem. It's also like more off chain than most systems that we're comfortable with. So that would be a constraint kind of almost everywhere. But I, I hope I hope they do well. I, I respect what they're what they're trying to do. I respect people that are out here trying to take risks, which is why I also respect friend tech. I, think, I mean, at least it's a swing. You know, it's going back to at least taking swings here. Um, Let's talk tornado. Yeah. Speaking of risks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that sucks. Yeah. yeah. It's very sad. Brutal. Vance, you want to give the overview? Yeah. Uh, Tornado Cash is a non-custodial mixer and relayer uh, for mostly ETH assets and ETH itself. I think that ETH is actually the biggest pairing. And there's all this stuff that happened with Tornado Cash. 
it, you know, it's it's code. They they uploaded it to a blockchain. There is a relayer system. There is also governance. So there's like a few different factors to this. Um, but the founders were arrested or charged. One was arrested, and they were you know charged with money laundering. You know, for North Korea, which, I mean, it just sounds terrible. Like um, a billion dollars, right? It's like a billion yeah, dollars. Billion dollars of of money laundering. And I think there's good arguments as to whether you know, it is or isn't money laundering, or if it is or isn't centralized. Um, but, you know, kind of that will be what the courts decide ultimately. And I think there's good arguments on both sides. What's shitty is that Roman, you know, Storm, at least, you know, is now in jail. And he's a guy that, you know, in my mind is like, stands up for the right things in crypto, stands up for developers, for privacy, you know, censorship resistant technology. And now he's just literally in a jail cell. I've known Roman for a long time at this point. So personally, a little bit sad about it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of road on this to go where he goes to trial, he goes to court, fights it, please, you know, whatever. Um, but it's just shitty. You know, there's like so many people in this industry that you could go after. And this is certainly a product that we would not, you know, invest in or, or use. Uh, but it's just shitty that, it's, you know, it's him and it's the team and it's a continued, you know, enforcement spree on crypto founders. Privacy is one of those things where I feel like more people should care about that one, but clearly demonstrably many people don't. And this was a fight back in the 90s when the internet was coming into being about whether or not encryption should be allowed on the internet. And it actually won not because of any ideological battle, but because many businesses would not be valid on the internet. And that's the type of logic that sits with US policymakers. Uh, if you can uh, monetize it or not, or make more money, I think actually crypto should probably adopt that same line of reasoning. But yeah, it's 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 a bummer. It's a huge... I mean, the question there is like the same question today, which is there are some people who believe that technology is either good or bad Whereas technology oftentimes is just this neutral thing and it can be good used for good or bad, depending on the intentions and the actions of the people who create it and who use it. Right. So like, I think the responsibility here lies with those who choose to use technology unethically, not the people who are actually developing the technology oftentimes. And if you go, go ahead. You ever seen thank you for smoking? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> Dude, that's it. That's a, Everyone should give that a watch, but there's that, some, is that the, this? the premise is that he's a lobbyist for big tobacco and he's friends mm -hmm. with someone who's a lobbyist argument? for the NRA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. I was the NRA guy. I think that made this argument at a, at a dinner, but it's like, you know, if, uh, if an airplane crashed, would you blame the airplane or blame the pilot? <laughs> you know, there are. I do think that like, I don't, so I, I see why that's ridiculous, but I also see it's, so it's like, is nu like nuclear, like Oppenheimer just came out. Like the scientists who created nuclear energy are not evil, even though nuclear weapons are capable of immense destruction. Um, because like, I don't know, you can also create nuclear, like use nuclear to, you know, I don't know, energize a city or whatever, or like algorithms, like algorithms are not evil, but like if a company uses them to like hack your dopamine, like that's probably not a thing, not a great thing, you know? And I think, uh, I don't know. In the case of Tornado Cash, I don't know if you guys actually read the DOJ thing, but like, I think they said only 7% of their transactions were used by bad, bad actors like North Korea or whoever it may be. That means 93% of people who are using it are good actors. They're people who need the product. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's another instance of like, if you are not really excited about crypto, this is going to be something that deters you from getting into the industry at the developer level. Um, which is good and bad. It filters for the best entrepreneurs, but it cuts out a lot of the the top of funnel. Ultimately, <laughs> like we just wait. You're saying wait, Vance. You're saying that because it makes you, if you're a developer, it kind of makes you, and you're kind of agnostic to the use cases that that you're building. It kind of makes you think twice about whether you could potentially be like a scapegoat down the line, or totally if if, if a bad actor ended up using your technology for evil. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the, the calculation yeah. on this stuff is political in most senses. It's like you know. What is a Uniswap LP doing in a pool that has no KYC? Do you know exactly who you're trading against? Probably not. Um, that's like, you know, like you can, you can extend the logic as far as you want. I think it's just another scary point for developers where 
the people who are left in this industry right now are the true believer diehards where the stakes are high. They are the incumbents. You know, they're, they're going to keep winning. Um, and this is just something that will deter competition because like one of the factors that we just ask entrepreneurs is like, you know, if you're building a game, NFT, whatever, you know, infrastructure, like, are you ready to live in somewhat of a gray regulatory zone? Most, most people, the answer is, you know, maybe to no. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah feels like, fair. I, that and don't blame yeah. for it. Um, but like life is risk. And like the tornado cash risk is obviously different than the Uniswap risk, but like it definitely is one thing that keeps entrepreneurs up at night. As it would. Yeah. I don't know. It's this is one of those things where it's very like Oppenheimer is an interesting example, you know, would, do you think the world is better or worse off with nuclear technology? I think it'd be better off if we actually use nuclear technology for energy. <laughs> Me too, but weighing the pros of nuclear energy versus the cons of being able to end the entire world, like uh, that's where I think it's I think yeah, it's a I tough, think, nuanced argument, right? It's hard to be totally yeah. binary like, about here, this. So then you have to zoom even more farther out, and then it's like if you, I am pro technology. Like I think technology yeah, ends I'm, up I'm making too. the world a better place, and it makes like I don't know, it's just good. Technology is good for many, many, many reasons, and so if you're like shutting down nuclear as it's getting created you that, that means you need politicians and regular uh, regulators who are smart enough to recognize that like it's just nuclear we're going to shut down and all the other innovations we're going to let go but really how it works in practice is they're just like they turn into anti-innovation you know mm. that's why i think it's dangerous to shut things down the craziest thing about oppenheimer that i found out in that movie was when they detonated the first atomic bomb as a test they thought that there was a chance that it could light the entire atmosphere on fire. <laughs> and yeah, those humans still pressed the I'm glad the they took that risk, yeah. I, like, I don't know. I haven't seen Oppenheimer or Barbie. I saw Sound of Freedom, though. That's oh, did fire. you? What? That's, it, wait, could you remind me, what is that? It, it's a film, uh, a do, uh, well, it's based on a true story about child sex trafficking and a guy who, you know, he's like this uh, FBI agent that, you know, is only responsible for finding kind of like the, the, the pedos in the U S but he then kind of has this like come to Jesus moment where he goes off and starts finding the actual kids. And he's, you know, he's like in a riverboat in Colombia, you know, going into the jungles, like no weapons unarmed and just like with vague plans, to like get these kids back. It's awesome. It's a true story. And, uh, it has sold more tickets than Indiana Jones. And, you know, this is entirely not on topic for this podcast, but, Two million kids a year are, are are in this type of slavery in the U.S. It's wild. Two million? Yeah, sex trafficking def destination for kids. It's it's. Who is um, who is hiring? Who who is like who? What, who's the money behind this? Like who's moving? Oh, there's these a kids? there's a whole supply chain of these things. It's like the movie is pretty long. It's like almost three hours. So you get into it oh if God. you if you if you really want to know. Some of it's honestly hard to watch, but um. And I've I've I've, I've a fucked up question, which is who. Who's at the end of the supply chain? Is it like just all creepy old dudes who want, who have like... It's it's people manipulating parents into giving them their kids for talent shows or auditions or like, you know, stuff like that. And, and you know, a lot of these people are not fully educated. So crazy movie. Recommend it. Jim Cavazil, the guy who plays uh, the main guy, was Jesus in Passion of the Christ. So, nice. you know, he's going from strength to strength with his career. Nice. Let's talk about the uh, the debate. Right. <laughs> yes. I didn't watch the what, debate. So what do you think? Was the, what were the highlights? No. Everyone came for Vivek. Basically, everyone kind of identified him as like the shadow candidate that actually could be real. DeSantis is great. I just think he just kind of has lacked a personality, and he he just showed more of that. And everyone else was kind of just a sideshow. Chris Christie looks ridiculous up there ridiculous i did like when he called vivek a chat gbt candidate yeah. <laughs> so vivek is now plus 1500 to win behind biden and trump it's vivek is now number is the leading candidate behind biden and trump who was vivek i i do not follow this stuff at all who is vivek there's a, there's like you know he was a biotechnology entrepreneur and there's been allegations that like what he did in biotech was kind of like the equivalent of like flipping an ico 
I don't know if that's true or not. That's kind of the brush that people paint. Most biotech investments, though. Right. Most biotechs are so uh, so volatile anyways. They're based on the earnings and the, or the, the trials of the drugs and what they mean for future earnings versus any current business today. So, like, I think there's good arguments probably for both sides of his background. But I don't know. <laughs> Some of the shit he says is just completely out of left field. Like, kind it's of worth like a billion dollars. Oh, he's very, I mean, he was at a hedge fund. Like he's very, he's very like pro, very pro Martin Shkreli. Um, He started getting into, so he made a shit ton of money, Mike. And then in 2019, he, I think his political aspirations started. He published a book called Woke that basically was like one of the first big critiques on woke culture in corporate America. And his argument was that companies have embraced social justices to make profits, not because they want to make meaningful change. And I think you're starting to see some of that probably come to life now and maybe he was more right than wrong um he's also been pretty critical of like esg investing standards um and he's advocated for more like what he calls like stakeholder capitalism instead of just like from the top down esg standards he's 38 too he's a young guy young yeah he was like 16 when he got into harvard got his got his jd from yale smart guy Mm. i don't like a lot of what he says like him calling climate change a hoax is like not helpful in my opinion um but he is one of the guys in the Republican Party that you're like, man, like I look at Mike Pence, like what what do I have in common with Mike Pence? <laughs> Not nothing. Vivek, it's like, okay, there's some common ground. He knows what I'm talking about. You know, he's rapping Lose Yourself at the Iowa Fairgrounds uh, you know, primary early event. Like he's he's got something there for for younger people, which is nice. I actually forgot I was gonna wear that opt to wear this tomorrow, but uh I actually got served a shirt, which is, it's like one of those presidential shirts. It was just anyone under 80, like instead of like Biden 24, dude, and the gerontocracy. Um, I, that is one thing I am a hundred percent behind. We, it's just so depressing to see these ancients on stage, like talking about this stuff. And is that the, those are the odds? These odds. Yeah. It's Biden at 200, Trump at 270, Vivek at 1500. Dude, I, we, need a, we need a we need a JFK candidate is who we, we need we need someone who's young and like seems like they have their mental a thousand you know what's a thousand here I'll give you one better Mike facilities around Let's them replace the J with an R yeah we got RFK yeah this guy's got a vaccine he wants to sell so you I need I'd like someone who's young who also like you know. I'm all for thinking outside of the orthodoxy, but you know, you, you get too far outside there too. I just, I just like a nice, normal person who like felt reasonable on stage. Is that too much to ask for? Does that, I just want someone who believes exactly what I believe. <laughs> I, get, I wonder if anyone's ever thought that before. <laughs> Why can't we get some of that? That would be, that's what I would vote for. Pence, Pence's hair reminds me of my grandmother's haircut. It's like the short way. <laughs> If you got if you got Grammys, you know that short white haircut. Oh yeah, he's Hell yeah. barber. He's working with some guy. <laughs> yeah, how old was JFK? JFK was like forty three. I think he was one of the youngest. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was forty two, but he came in after get after McKinley got assassinated. Damn, you know your presidential history. McKinley is a history major. You know it's a history major. I got, his, I got I got history facts on deck. <laughs> it all makes sense now. Yeah. I, have a, I have a history. I have a history staff for you. Then we'll move on. A presidential history staff for you. There have been forty-five presidents. Most people in the world or in the U.S. their eye color is brown. We can agree on that. It's like I don't know some crazy stat or percentage. It's like eighty or ninety percent of people are have uh, brown eyes. You want to know how many presidents have had brown eyes out of forty-five? None. Only four or uh, five of them. Uh, four or five. They've all had like blue or green eyes. I got I got blue eyes, but I'm from Canada, so I can't run. You know, one day, <laughs> one day soon. I'm I'm Jewish and I got brown eyes. No shot, I got it. No <laughs> shot, buddy. No shot. Um, actually, before we go all the way back to crypto, did you guys see Nvidia earnings came out yesterday? Yeah, it's not bullish that they blew out earnings and that they're now tanking. Uh, I missed that. I didn't even look at the stock today, but they Wait, had not tanking. It's pumping. Last night, yeah, after our print, but I think people would be expecting a lot higher if yeah. they like. I mean, it's up. It's up from one twenty. 
less than a year ago. I mean, totally. But look at look at the last like three months. It's been at basically the same price. So, Nvidia, I Are I just at the same chart. Yeah, uh, the last three months. The last three months, you're saying I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, it's been doing extremely well. It's so Nvidia's they've largely what they're cashing in on is the AI boom. And they've got these chips that are extremely valuable, very limited. There were stories we we're probably talking on this on this pod uh probably a month or a month and a half ago where I think Vance, you were saying, right, that there are companies that were raising off of the ability to get their hands on these chips. And this was around the time that all the thought pieces came out from the VCs on ChatGPT and how AI was going to drive this whole big thing. And I mean, I was telling you, you know, a couple months later, I do think those LLMs are real and I think they'll be significant, but I do think they were extremely overhyped in terms of the short-term impact. The question that I have for you guys is, what would you guess the sales cycle looks like for chips? Like how far in advance do companies need to purchase these things? I would guess far in advance. So the question is, are these sales that NVIDIA are talking about on this last earnings call, is that like a reflection of anything relatively recent in their business? Or were these sales locked in many moons ago? Because that's what I would sort of guess. I, I have a dumb I have a dumb accounting question. Does that, do their sales get recognized when they deliver the chips or deliver. when someone orders? Okay. Deliver. I mean, I, I haven't looked at it, but yeah, yeah. it'd it have to be delivered. It should yeah. be delivered, okay. So, yeah. so like in yeah. my mind, it's the exact same thing in terms of like hype cycle versus sales cycle um, as Bitcoin, you know, mining chips like uh, GPUs and, and, you know, custom mining chips that we, that NVIDIA used to sell Bitcoin miners, which would be, you know, you have the hype of Bitcoin going up and everyone rushes to order and there's no chips available. And so they say, you know, we don't have you this quarter, but next quarter or the quarter after that, we'll get you in. And so you have like this natural lag effect of, you know, once like the Bitcoin price pops, NVIDIA sales of, of Bitcoin miners are still really strong for the subsequent three or four quarters. But, you know, eventually they come down. And so there's a lag effect. And I think what you're seeing is business that's already been locked in. But like if these LLMs don't start producing real use cases at some point, like this is all, all, all charts ultimately meet the same fate. Big up, big down. Yeah. You know. So I'm looking back at 2017 NVIDIA. So... 2017, NVIDIA's sales to Bitcoin miners accounted for over 10% of their revenue. And 2017, Bitcoin obviously pumped. NVIDIA, their stock rose 225%. In 2018, when obviously Bitcoin crypto crashed, NVIDIA missed earnings targets uh, because excessive GPU inventory built up due to uh, overlooked crypto mining demand. Their stock fell 54% then that year. So it's actually pretty correlated. It was pretty correlated to this boom bust in crypto. And I wonder if you'll see it like pretty strong correlation with what is an inevitable some point collapse in AI, not long-term collapse, but the, the difference is you can see the Bitcoin price going up. You can't see the amount of money these VCs are being or are, are aping into these, you know, LLM companies that are trying to buy GPUs. Reed Hoffman raised a billion to go buy GPUs on a three billion valuation. And yeah. that and that that chatbot, I think, has like 3,000 followers on Twitter. Like not, not, not that bullish when you, when you think about it. Uh, and do you guys know Anthropic? Right. Anthropic. So I, I actually think their product, Claude, is like the best of all the LLMs that I use. Like you can upload PDFs and spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. They have a minimum wage at their company. Minimum wage, it's $300,000. There's people that are million, there's a million dollar AI job at Netflix too. You know, like this is, this is an inside bubble. This is like the venture capital bubble that bubbled up with WeWork, except there happens to be this massive public company selling them the inputs that they need. So I don't know. Like, I think the temperature on AI has gone down considerably in the Valley. Just like the use cases aren't as immediate as people thought, but we'll probably last for the full year. And then I think 2024 is like delivery time. If we haven't figured out a new app other than ChatGPT. It's un it's hard to see the business model. Remember there were these takes uh, a couple months ago. There was a this was a VC who shall remain nameless, but it's com again comparing crypto 
I, you know, everyone that I know like wants to work on crypto, but there's no use case. Everyone that works in AI, everyone's like trying to sign up or something like that is the paraphrasing of this tweet. But yeah, there were a bunch of people that were very interested in trying a free LLM. A sustainable business model that leverages this is a little bit harder to squint and see, actually. And I sort of just feel like AI is just going to be a great cost center reduction for gigantic orgs like Google or Microsoft is what I sort of feel like. But how investable is that? I don't know. I, it'll, I, give, it'll give companies air cover to fire people in a yes. way that doesn't seem ruthless and, you know, cold hearted. Like, oh, we cut, we fired half, we, we let go of 50% of people because AI, you know, could do it better. Like that makes more sense. So I think that'll, yeah. that'll happen. But like my experience of using ChatGPT is typing something in, getting an answer, cross-referencing it on Google. It's like half wrong. I edit it, you know, I put it back into the email, I copy paste. And the last time I did that was like three or four months ago. We'll yeah. see. I, yeah, I don't see a lot of jobs being automated. Here, let's let's end on crypto quickly. I, I'm not sure how much on this podcast we've talked about Eigenlayer, but there was a bit of an announce. So slowly Eigenlayer is moving ahead and they talked about increasing the cap on um, their portion of uh, LSTs that they accept. So here's a little dashboard. This happened on August 22nd, so a couple days ago. And they capped the inflows to 100,000 ETH. So you could see just exactly how long that took before they capped it again. Uh, this is the balance for anyone who's interested in uh, Steeth, uh, uh, RETH, which is Rockpool ETH. I guess they expanded it as well to CBETH. I didn't realize that CBETH was going to be included, but mostly Steeth, but a healthy mix of CBETH and RETH seems to be about split. Um, there's some cool. Uh, you, you can see this is just a nice dashboard, actually. Of um, you can see withdrawals as well, but yeah, Eigenlayer is it does have the potential to be a little bit of a catalyst that I think people are sleeping on. The other thing I think people are sleeping on, I was thinking about this the other day. Celestia is going to launch their mainnet soon, so I would imagine we're going to get a Celestia token out of here soon as well. Yeah, I think people might be sleeping on that as a catalyst, to be honest with you. Like a big token like that, that's a project that everyone believes in. It's pretty L1-y, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I'm with you. I'm with you. And it's like, uh, I have no idea. Uh... I have no idea either. I don't have any, I have no financial stake in it at all. But I just think of the other day, like, man, it's going to launch and people are going to, yeah, people are going to want to buy that. I think um, we, we need but. we need like the DGENs to be recapitalized, basically, you know, know, there's not enough for like the funds to really eat here. But like the, the DGENs can can, you know, spin up some trading capital. The question is, is it like, is it from somebody else in crypto or is it outside of crypto or is it at the sacrifice of another asset? So I don't know. We'll see. I don't, I don't see like Celestia, you know, like being mass market yeah, enough to bring in the, the normies. But maybe I can. Gonna... Yeah. Yeah. Well, but bull markets don't get kicked off with normies. Like it's not like DeFi summer was a normie, was a normie thing. No, it was, it was like the DGENs getting capitalized yeah. for the run. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's enough here. There's not as many DGENs as there used to be. So we have less mouths to feed. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know, like... man. There weren't many DGENs at like the end of the 2019 bear market. <laughs> I, w I was degening. I know you were. I, yeah, I know you, you were. were. <laughs> I know you were. Yeah. I feel like it's like the same crowd. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. I like. It's I like good. the people who are left. It was actually a big week for Circle. Would love to give a shout out to one of our favorite balds, Jeremy Allaire, who the. Uh, <laughs> I wonder. I just wonder Jeremy what Lair these guys the think. He is the goat. Yeah, he's great. Circle and Circle and Coinbase have been murdering the bear market. You know what I just heard from our head of finance yesterday? Mm -hmm. That Circle's uh, customer success team and like customer relationship team responds instantly. I've never heard that. About, or sorry, Coin, uh, Coinbase. Sorry, Coinbase's yeah. team. I've never heard Coinbase having good customer support in my life. They're now now they've got like I feel like just Coinbase and Circle been murdering the bear market. I'm really interested to see how Coinbase evolves when the ETFs are a thing and it's 1% fees to trade the ETF versus like 100 on Coinbase. 
I think retail will still do Coinbase, but I think it'll bring a lot of liquidity that isn't on platform or, or maybe is on platform downstream, but like something will happen there. But yeah, their respective corp dev teams are just murdering it. A lot of good acquisitions, a lot of good new partnerships. And USDC is just printing. I, I do think USDC is vulnerable the longer that rates stay this high. Um, but I don't know. Jeremy well, Lerner, like he's got some tricks people, up his sleeves. Because people will bring treasuries uh, on chain and things like that? No, just swap to die, stake it in the DSR, earn 5%. Mm, you know? Yeah. And uh, every time you do that, in some ways, you're deleting USDC supply. Yeah, but hmm. swap to die and the, get 5%. You know it's easier than that? Park your USDC in Coinbase and get 4.5%. Yep. Yep. That's For great. 99% of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the actual details from Circle this week was there was, a new, there was some sort of increased partnership where Coinbase took an equity stake in Circle. Uh, Center is the consortium that they have that's a separate governance body, JV of Circle and Coinbase that ended up being dissolved. Um, so Circle is taking control of USDC issuance and governance, um, and it looks like Coinbase and Circle will equ uh, equally share revenue and the interest generated income from broader usage of USDC, which is expected to be pretty sizable. I don't know what equally means. I would be sort of surprised if it was a complete 50-50 split, but uh, it's interesting. I mean, it feels like they're the Circle and Coinbase are the like the allied forces or something you know they're like the good guys joining joining hands and yeah they don't undersell that statement though like the revenue let me read the revenue will continue to be shared based on the amount of usdc held on each of our platforms additionally we will now equally share an interest income generated from the broader distribution and usage of usdc like that is pretty damn bullish for coinbase yeah. i agree they're building a nice little business for themselves yeah at some point, it's going to be profitable and it's going to be really interesting as a public company. Maybe that's like a year or two away. But I mean, this this thing yeah. combined with base having like a monster week and the stock not moving at all. I'm like, man, Wall Street is sleeping. I think I think people are just starting to listen to macro podcasts again and get themselves freaked right out. Like that that feels kind of like where we are. A lot of the progress, like there's real work that's going into crypto right now on a lot of different narratives, a lot of different levels. Like. At some point, that will be realized in in the fundamentals and the price. Yeah. Last thing about Circle, there's so the, the they also announced that there was going to be they're expanding to six different chains. They didn't mention which chains, but there's a, a partnership with Shopify and Circle. They're using Solana Pay, where now merchants that are using Solana Pay can offer cross border USDC payments, token gated offers, and NFT based loyalty programs. So. The average cost per transaction using Solana is like 0.00025 cents as opposed to between one and a half and three and a half percent per transaction. Shopify is not nothing. They account for 10% of total US e-commerce and $444 billion worth of global economic activity with 4.3 million online merchants. So yeah, that's 17.2 times the amount of seven-day moving average addresses on Solana today. So Bullish Solana and the cost aside, cross-border payments is miserable. Um, like truly horrendous. Be kind of cool. That would be, I feel like usually I'm bearish on these sorts of things, but I actually think this sounds like a pretty cool. You remember when Coin, Coinbase actually launched this? Coinbase launched the ability to do this. It might've even been with Shopify. The big difference back then was um, nobody wants to pay an ETH and nobody wants to pay in Bitcoin. And any of the, right, and now that like USDC, like stable coins are tens of billions of dollars. Like the, there could there could be something here. I do think this is the return of like this, and we saw we saw a couple of new like wallet wallets. Like Beam had something. Like I think the payments narrative is, is starting to come back, which is exciting, right? Because like I mean, Mike was saying this. It's like moving money from country to country is a nightmare. Wallets like Cash App, Venmo, it's crazy. Those aren't connected. Uh, the existing networks like Swift and like. ACH, they're built in the freaking 1970s, right? They're closed to outsiders. I think payments are just very broken. And it's cool to see this coming back. I do have a counter take for the, for the circle thing though, which is um, if you look at, uh, so the, I think the, th the argument, and even I tweeted this like, oh, pay, you know, USDC will bring fees down. 
I would bet I need to talk to someone who understands fees better because I don't understand it really. I would guess. So what we're all arguing is that like there's these there's this fee like two percent fee on Shopify and uh, paying with USDC will bring that down. What we're what we're arguing there is that the fees go to cover uh, infrastructure. Those are infrastructure fees, and the crypto infrastructure is cheaper. I bet though, what a lot of the fees go to are risk fees, and that's like covering costs uh, related to like fraud prevention, verification, reversals, uh, chargebacks, things like that. Um, and that's like, that's not necessarily something crypto solves. It isn't. And, and speaking of Solana, I guess it is because there's finality, but like, you're finality. still going to have, yeah. To, yeah. I mean, but just a lot of the conversations we have with traditional asset managers are that, especially at the fund level, this isn't cross-border payments, but like there are so many different collection points fee collection points, you know, places where expenses get stuck that just doing things on chain allows them to save so much money. Like there's no, there's no wonder that circle has like 30 or 300 people and does like, I think like probably like half a billion, a billion in revenue per year. Like it, it's just cause it's built on blockchain rails. But the last thing I was going to end with is apparently they found 3 billion of assets to sell in crypto for the FTX estate. And uh, unfortunately, Solana is 1.3 billion of that. Oh, I didn't see this. And it, it invests over the next like three or four or five years, but it starts in September. The sellers found more coins, basically. And, oh, the, coins. and the borrow rates on Solana have been spiking over the past week. Mm -hmm. So someone's kind of trying to get ahead of this, at least it seems probably Galaxy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Roman Storm is out of jail. That's good. Shout out Roman. Nice. That's good. All right, guys. Yeah. Peace.